Well, there were these two neighbours that were talking one to another, and, and um, well, you better put that one down, actually, Linda. And, um, and one number was saying, you just won't believe what happened. My neighbour came over at 2.30 in the morning. Can you believe that? 2.30 in the morning and knocked on my door. Lucky for him, I was up playing my bagpipes. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> I used to learn the bagpipes. Never really liked them, but I had to learn them. But there you go. So, yeah, my father's family, a number of his brothers played the bagpipe. So it was the sort of thing we did in our family. Um, okay, let's go with the slide. Thanks, Linda. Here's something else. Uh, if you're looking for jobs, maybe you want to put this little cartoon in your CV. Uh, it says, if you can't read it, it says on your resume that you were created in God's image. Very impressive. So uh, it's something to bear in mind. Um, so very, very cool. Um, over the last uh, three days or so, Wendy and I have had the privilege, and I say privilege in, in inverted commas, of looking after our young grandchildren, uh, two three-and-a-half-year-old boys and an 18-month-year-old girl. And um, I, I will say this, so I, I've been up since 2 o'clock this morning, <laughs> as you do, and I'm going, oh, my goodness, how I've forgotten about those years, you know, but uh, they were back with us, and our 18-month-year-old granddaughter uh, has this habit, and she just doesn't let up. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're reading a book, having a cup of tea, everything is, what's that? What's that? And of course, it's a cup of tea. What's that? It's a book. What's that? It's a knife. And of course, I, I get exasperated, and I go, see you, Nana. And of course, then Nana comes out absolutely exasperated. Uh, with this curiosity of this three-and-a-half-year-old, oh, sorry, 18-month-year-old, and, of course, what's going to come next is why, you know? Why is the sky blue? Why does the cat have the table, a, a tail and all these sorts of things? So I'll be passing her on to a nana as well. But um, it's wonderful to have them, and I think it, it really highlights a curiosity that's evident in children, and it's evident for all of us, is the quest to know, the quest to know about things, to find out things, to... Uh, to know what's going to happen. Um, and Jesus said it this way. Um, in uh, John 8, verse uh, 31, 32, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And uh, this sense of knowledge, of knowing the truth, and the truth will set you free, I think is a really key, key thing for us as a church. Um, over the last 10 or 15 years, it's really good to see the church become less judgmental. I think you'd agree it's a really positive thing for the church. Uh, I think it's really, really good. And praise God that we're all part of it, that we're not pointing the finger at people, we're not judging people. But equally, it can go too far to say, well, whatever you do is fine, whatever, just, that's fine, whatever, whatever suits you. And I think we've got to be careful that as a church it doesn't swing so far that we just go, well, whatever goes, goes sort of thing. And so within the church context, Jesus really addresses this thing by saying that he came full of grace and truth. And the balance of both of those things are important for us as individuals, are important for us in our relationships and the way that we relate with one another, that we're based on grace and truth as a church faith community that we're based on those things. And so today, I want to have a look at this whole thing of truth, if, if that's okay. I'm sure it is. Thank you. And so, um, who's ever told a lie? 
<laughs> well, there's a few liars here, isn't there? <laughs> well, my, my brother-in-law used to say this to me, have you ever lied? And, and I would say, well, of course I have. Have you ever stolen anything? Yes, yeah, I stole $20 out of my dad's drawer when I was a young kid and felt really guilty for it. And then, of course, he would turn around and say, well, you're a thieving liar, aren't you? And, um, well, I said, I only took $20 once. And, um, but, yeah, he never knew. How's that? He never knew. And, and I, my guilt got me that some years later I put it back. <laughs> and he probably never knew about that either, so... But anyway, um, we, we live in a world where the truth gets distorted, in fact, pretty, pretty profoundly. Um, and I was reading yesterday on a stuff feed, um, a news item, about a very talented young um, clarinetist. He was in his uh, late teens, and he was a Canadian, and uh, his girlfriend was also um, a clarinetist, and, and she was good, but not quite as, at the level that he was. And he wanted to go to a prestigious school uh, in Los Angeles. And so he auditioned uh, at the school, and the school sent an email back to him that he didn't read. His girlfriend got to see it first. And it said, you've been accepted into this elite school to learn your clarinet. And so when the girlfriend saw that, she thought, well, I'm going to lose my boyfriend. And so she replied and said, I do not accept your kind offer. So pretty nasty because he knew nothing about this. And then she also went on to set up another email account and write an email to him saying that he had been declined uh, to uh, acceptance into the school. So he could actually see that. And so as you can imagine, he was pretty gutted. He was uh, pretty perplexed to go. He's one of the best clarinetists in Canada um, for his age, and yet he can't be accepted into the school in Los Angeles. So two years go by. And uh, he decides that he wants to audition for the school again. So he goes down and sees this professor in Los Angeles, and he's, the professor there is pretty surprised to see him. He does the audition, and he carries on and says there's this really awkward silence between them. And, and the professor says, so why did you turn down the offer two years ago? And this young 21-year-old goes, I never did. You, you rejected me. And, and the professor said, no, you rejected me. Um, and so they were going backwards and forwards, and they worked out that it was his girlfriend. And then um, his parents said, look, you better put a lawsuit on this. And so the judge awarded, for her dishonesty, 539000 New Zealand dollars to him. It's pretty substantial, isn't it? So I guess she would obviously be pretty remorseful about doing that. But um, he went on to say, I've got a new girlfriend, um, which is good. He said, I didn't want to close up because that's not the way of love. So I thought that was pretty good. And of course, there's, there's many other um, examples where you can think of dishonesty all through the world. Some have small impacts, others have huge impacts. Um, and Jesus confronts it pretty front on, and particularly he confronts it with religious people, with religious leaders. And uh, I'm reminded of the story, you know, when Jesus was walking along and he saw the fig tree and he cursed it. Remember that story? Yeah. I don't know what you think about, but I... I, I that language is pretty strong. He sees a fig tree, it's got green leaves, it's got no fruit on it. He's with the disciples and he curses it. And then the disciples come back the next day and they see it all withered. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm thinking, Jesus, did you get out of bed the wrong way that day? Or didn't you have a coffee in the morning or something, you know? It was pretty um, strong approach to things. 
And so I began to think about this. And of course, when you look at fig leaves or a fig tree, it's first mentioned in the Bible, of course, is when Adam and Eve sin. And of course, they cover themselves with fig leaves. And so I think the whole thing about the fig leaf is a story of humans trying to cover up for the things that they do wrong. And Jesus goes, that's not the way of truth. I'm going to just blow that open. And so I think there is this thing that Jesus is going, that fig tree, I can remember, because I saw the day it happened when Adam and Eve, this perfect couple, when they yielded to um, or disobeyed God, sin came in the world, truth was broken, and they tried to cover it up. And we're all there, aren't we? We all do that one way or another. I read yesterday uh, of a story of a, a man in his 40s who was involved in an accident, uh, hit a person in a hit-and-run accident, killed the person, and, and didn't start the scene, just drove off. Finally, the authorities caught up with him, and he was in prison. And then a psychiatrist or psychologist um, interviewed him a number of months later and said, look, why did you do that? Um, and he said... It goes back a long way when I covered up something. He said, I stole some money from my parents. And my parents knew it was gone, and they asked, who took it? They asked me, did you take it? And I said, no. I just covered it up. And he said, I built a habit in my life of covering things up. And so when this happened, I couldn't face it. I had to cover it up. And, of course, he end ended up uh, in prison. And so that's what I want to really talk to you about today. And Jesus said these words, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the greatest thing that we have to find freedom is not covering things up, but is the truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth. And um, at times I don't like facing the truth. I don't know about you, because it means you have to face some things. But I think it's very good to go through an audit of your own life from time to time and say, what's some truths I have to face up to? What's some truths I have to face up with God in my relationships, workplace, one another, that I can be the person who God wants me to be? Because when I face those truths up, I'm giving God and I'm giving Jesus permission to set me free to be who I'm meant to be. And that's got to be a good thing. So, what is truth? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? Here's a couple of things it's not. Truth is not simply whatever works. It's not a matter of the end um, as a means for any approach. Truth is not what makes people feel good. Unfortunately, bad news, things that don't make us feel good, can be the truth. Truth is not what the majority say. 51% of a group can come to the wrong conclusion. Truth is not defined by what is intended. Good intentions can still be wrong. Truth is even not a matter of what you believe because we can believe a lie. The Greek word for truth is aletheia, and it literally means to unhide or to unhide, unhide um, or to have everything transparent. It contains this thought. It's always open and available for people to see. Nothing is to be hidden or obscured. The Hebrew word for truth means to be firm, to be constant, 
to be durable, to be of lasting substance that can be relied upon. And I want to really encourage us as a church to be a body of people who are, yes, strong in the grace of the Lord, but who are equally strong in the truth. And I think it's really, really important for us. And I think it's something as a faith community, it's so easy to go soft on when God wants us to be strong on. But there's a right way to do it. And in John chapter 8, the opening verses or the opening segment of the story starts with the story of the woman caught in adultery. You know it well. This woman's caught in adultery in the act of it. And according to the Levitical law, she is to be stoned. That's what the Bible says. And so the religious leaders bring her before Jesus. Jesus writes something on the ground. And then he raises his head and he says, Who's without sin? Let him cast the first stone. And of course, we know the story. One by one, from the eldest to the youngest, they leave. That's the grace of God. Jesus could have applied the truth or the law and said, you're guilty, you need to be stoned. But the truth is, and this is what the truth that he showed the grace, where are your accusers? They've gone. Here's the truth. Go and sin no more. That's the truth. That truth, I can tell you now, wasn't to come upon her as a condemnation. It was to lift her up and set her free. And when we receive the truth of Jesus, every time the truth of Jesus comes into our heart, its motivation is never to condemn. It's to lift us and set us free. And that's what God wants to do for us as a people, to lift us and set us free. And Jesus said this, if you want that happening, you need to remain faithful to my teachings. You need to know them. You need to remain faithful to them. You need to take the word of God and chew on it, eat on it, meditate on it, so it becomes part of you, fully ingrained in you. And so this morning, church, I want to encourage, and I, I don't say this to condemn anybody, but we're in winter a little bit tougher. What about we accept the challenge and go, I'm going to step into knowing more of God's word. I'm going to step into receiving the truth that comes from him. And I'm going to apply it to my life with an intensity and with a sense that honors Jesus. Who thinks that brings glory to Jesus? That's what he wants us to do. I really believe that. It's not a soft thing. This is not Christianity light. This is not taking the soft options. We could do that, but I don't think that honors Jesus, do you? Jesus never took the soft option. He never said uh, when he got to you know, the Garden of Gethsemane, ah, nah, ah, just a bit too hard. I want to go and have a Big Mac. He, he never said that. In fact, he goes, this is not my will. I, I don't want to do this. But Father, not my will, but your will be done. And so to get to that place can seem quite scary, but if we decide to go on the journey, Lord, I'm going to know your truth, I'm going to be transformed by it, and I'm going to allow it to set me free, I can be who God wants me to be. Our church can be who God wants us to be, shining the light for Jesus, full of grace, followed by truth. Both together, both standing strong, both doing what God desires us to be which has got to be a good thing, does it not? So let's go to the next slide. 
Jesus goes on in the same passage. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. You are truly free. So what Jesus is saying here, everybody's got to serve somebody. That's the way we're designed. That's the way God has designed us. We're serving somebody. It can be sin or it can be the Lord, but we're serving somebody. And so Jesus makes the point, and, and Paul goes through this in, in Romans, uh, Romans 6 and 7, um, and he goes in Romans 7, of course, what's going to happen? The things that I want to do, I can't do. But he comes to Romans 8, praise God, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And here's the truth where we are all this morning. If Jesus came and stood right in front of you, would he be condemning you? The truth is, no way. The truth is he would look you straight in the eyes and go, you're a champion. I'm with you. I'm for you. And we'd get the sense going, Lord, it seems as though you see nothing wrong in me. And we go, he would go, yes, that's right. I see nothing wrong in you. As far as the east is from the west, your sins have been separated. Isn't that awesome? After this morning's gathering at the 9 a.m., a woman came to me and she said this, shared this amazing story. She said, when I first became a Christian, I was in a woman's group and they spoke about the Lamb's Book of Life. She said, I had no idea what, a, what the Book of Life was, but I had a dream about it. And I think this is a really neat illustration. She said, in my dream was the book, and it was when, I, when Jesus opened the book, it was all, there was just nothing in it. It was just a blank page. But on the right-hand side... Jesus was beginning to write things, and she said, I tried to go back in the book to see the wrong things I had done. I couldn't go there. There was nothing there. It had all been blotted out. And in her dream, she knew that Jesus had blotted out all her past, and she stood before him, righteous, just as though she had done nothing wrong. Isn't that awesome? And that's God's grace, and that's God's truth. For you and I. That's where we stand. Set apart just as though we've never sinned. And here's the thing. When we became Christians, when I was earlier in my Christian life, and I would read in Corinthians, um, we're new creations, we're new, cre we're new creatures. I thought that would mean my whole personality would change, my looks would change, um, my voice would change. I, mean, I know I'm pretty good looking, but I thought you know, I might change and be even better looking. I'm only kidding. And, um, but, so I thought this, all this change was going to happen. But that change applies to our spirit. Spirit was dead, now it's activated in Jesus. I'm alive. My spirit is alive. But my soul, my mind, uh, my will and emotions, now that's the area that I need to work on, to be transformed. And that uh, ingredients to work on that is God's grace and God's truth to transform us as individuals, as a faith community, to be all who we can be. And that is filled with unlimited possibilities that God has for you and me. Absolutely unlimited possibilities. All it takes is, are we going to yield to the voice of the Spirit? Are we going to step over that chicken line and yield to the voice of God? Um, I, I used to be chicken of doing this, but I do it more often now than and, uh, what I ever used to. But it's sharing my faith with people. 
and I've shared some of these stories before with you, but I'll just share one that happened a couple of days ago. I was in town, um, and I really felt the Lord say, invite this person to church. Um, sometimes I feel to uh, share different things, but I just felt that's what the Lord wanted me to do. So I had this conversation, just struck up this conversation with this guy and said, if you're free on a Sunday evening, how would you like to come along to church? And, and I get shocked. Um, I do, I was absolutely shocked. He said, yes, I want to do that. My brother's a Christian. I'm not a Christian. I want to find out about the Christian faith. Where is your church? And I'm going, isn't that amazing? And that's God. I had nothing to do with it. It was a whisper of the Spirit just stepping into it. And, and so as we begin to know God's truth and step by yielding into His Spirit, we're, Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, we produce this fruit at the end of these, the branches that people have the joy of participating of. Isn't that awesome? And that's what God wants to do through the vine. The Holy Spirit flows through us, the branches. It produces this fruit that comes from us, obeying the truth that's revealed to us. The fruit is produced and people enjoy it. People grow. People come close to Jesus. That's got to be a good thing. Amen? Really, really good. So I want to encourage you, church. Let's be people that embrace the truth. And so right where you are right now, I just want you to close your eyes. And ask the Lord, Jesus, what truth do you want to reveal to me right now that I need to respond to? What truth do you want me to respond to? Maybe it could be to forgive somebody. Maybe it would be to talk with somebody to restore a relationship that's been strained or stressed. Maybe it's to give back something to someone that you need to give back to them. Whatever the Lord's talking to you, allow him to work that through you. Amen. I'm going to conclude with this story. And uh, I love what truth does because truth sets us free. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about it. Um, but, you know, the, the price for freedom is not easy. Freedom doesn't come easy. People think it can be just come on a silver plate. The scriptural uh, narrative says that's not the case. For the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, that was not an easy path to freedom. You're looking at the, the, the New Testament disciples and apostles, their process of coming through to freedom in Jesus. It was a process. It takes time. Uh, it's the same for us as well. And um, Wendy and I, uh, I think most of you are aware that I, I really value Thanksgiving um, as a value, as an attitude. It's very important to me. Um, I've, it's something I practice intentionally. Not that I'm saying that I'm perfect at it. But when I was a young believer, uh, the big thing when we were 20 was, what's the will of God for your life? Uh, everybody wanted to know what was the will of God to the point, do I walk out that door or do I walk out that door? Uh, what clothes do I wear? Who do I marry? Uh, well, that's a good question to ask for the will of God, of course. 
But, but it was all about that. What is the will of God? And so I went to the scriptures and found 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And I only know two scriptures in the Bible that says this is the will of God for you. And, and uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. Um, and I think it's a great, great thing. And the testimony about applying that truth is that Psalm 118 verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. And a heart that is thankful, when a heart chooses to give thanks, your spiritual eyes are open to see that God is good. And in the knowledge of God is good is the confirmation and the insurance that his love is for you and that his love endures forever. That is my story about Thanksgiving. Am I perfect at it? No. It's a good antidote for entitlement, though, but I'm certainly not perfect at it. And the other day, uh, Wendy, um, she told me off. Can you believe that? Yes, Tash says. And she had good reason to tell me off. And, um, and I thought, blast, I'm going to have to practice what I believe. Give thanks because she's highlighted a truth. I need to be grateful for it and I need to allow it to work into my spirit. But I didn't feel like being thankful. In fact, I didn't want to be thankful. And I was wrestling through this, and Jesus said, You shall know the truth. And to truly know the truth means not only to know it intellectually, but to allow it to go into your heart and to apply it experientially uh, and from an experiential point of view. And I realized that here I am, I'm sitting in a test. The Lord is testing me. How am I going to respond? Am I going to try and cover it up? Or am I going to go, Okay, Lord, I need to respond. Bit of an issue here. I choose to give thanks and I choose to focus on and see the truth come through. So it took a little while, but I decided I'm going to give thanks for it. And here's what I've learned. I don't know about you. If I don't respond to those things, I get stuck there. And I don't want to be stuck in my growth as a Christian. And I want to encourage you, let's not be people that get stuck in the mud because we haven't responded in obedience or to the truth that Jesus is revealing to us. If we respond in the truth, we move forward and we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and we become and bear the fruit that He's called us to bear. And so I want to encourage you, let's be people that are not soft in taking the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's be people by His grace that allow it to work in us to be the best we can through Him and for Him and with Him. Amen? And shine brightly in that. So I hope that encourages you. I hope it challenges you. And the truth is found by knowing God's Word and getting into His Word and applying His Word into our hearts. Amen? So just where you are, let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a few moments. Father, I thank you for Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. You said, if you will remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be given. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and this brings great glory to my Father. Father, we desire to bring you 
great glory. And Lord, we know we can't do it by ourselves and we don't seek to do it by ourselves. But we pray for the grace of your Holy Spirit, the advocate, the spirit of truth would rest upon each one of us and within us that, Lord, we would produce great fruit, Lord, as we would yield to the truth of your spirit and the truth of your word. There we would find freedom and liberty because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty.